Welcome to Oscar Sunday, episode 40. We got a Best Picture Showdown. Connor, how are you doing today? Pretty good. A uh, little underwhelmed by today's offering, but the prep work was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, these, these are always special. You know, every fifth episode, we, we kind of change it up a bit and take a Best Picture winner, you know, and watch all the nominees from the, for, for the Best Picture category and, uh, in this case, it's Chariots of Fire, 1981. So we also have uh, Atlantic City, On Golden Pond, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Reds. We, we got to all of them, you know, and definitely have a lot to say about all of them. It's going to be fun. We have awards to give out to Chariots of Fire, which is going to be a little bit difficult. Uh, <laughs> th- this is your first time. This is your first time, right? Yeah, this is my first time with this film. I've never really been interested in it. It's a film about 1920s Olympic foot race like I, okay the only thing that's really stood the test of time is the music which has become kind of synonymous with like victory uh Vangelis's theme we all know it uh but apart from that I just I didn't know what to expect and it's really kind of like a poor man's English Rocky almost <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it, it for me it definitely helps kick off like a really weird eighties Oscars, you know, best picture run. Uh, There's just, there's just not a lot of interesting stuff there, you know, as far as the winners go in the eighties and chariots of fire definitely falls into that category. It's one of the more uh, just kind of sloppy films that I've seen win best picture. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've seen some movies that are boring that have won or that just don't really, this is not my style, but they're fine. This one has some stuff there. Just, just the puzzle pieces are not put together well at all. Uh, for me, it really wastes a, like a really good in-home performance and he's kind of giving it his all. And there's a lot to say about what he's, what he's doing in this movie, but all, f- all for what, you know, <laughs> and, and the cinematography is super impressive at times. Like you mentioned the score all for what though? I, I just think as a film, as a two hour, you know, piece of art, it just doesn't have a lot to say. Uh, and that, that's frustrating coming from a best picture winner. You know uh, it's one thing if it's just a stylized movie that has an interesting score and you're not expecting these things, but when it wins best picture, you're hoping for something a little bit deeper. Well, that and like, it's a true story, which is kind of unfortunate because I like when a true story has some meat on it and it's worth yeah. telling. But this one, what's the story here? I mean, English guys from different backgrounds win the, the Olympics. Like, that's it. There's not really a lot of hardship in their lives or like a lot of disbelief or like, why are these guys underdogs? None of that really comes up. It's just, they wanted to race. They like racing. They joined the Olympics. They won. There's no conflict here. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just watching these guys kind of, you know, win <laughs> the whole time. We're not really, and that also there's no focus. Like who's our hero here? Who are we supposed to be rooting for? Why are we supposed to care about their story? I don't know. There's no driving force here. It's really, like you said, it's sloppy. It, yes. And it, you mentioned how it centered around two people, uh, these two British guys uh, winning at the 1924 Olympics 
okay, I would like to see you do something where we actually care about each of these individuals, not just be kind of lackadaisical bouncing back and forth. And then all of a sudden there's these huge like philosophical moments. You're like, what is this all about? There's no, I, there is no buildup for this. This is not worth it. And that's really frustrating because I, you know, you know me, I like adore sports and I think most sports movies are really bad. <laughs> they're usually, they're usually really hard to put on the screen, but you know, of course, boxing is a good one because it's a lot of one-on-one uh, like Rocky four. You no, know, you, you know, you get this sincere, you know, kind of like pull towards Rocky's character, right? Cause you, you're really watching him the whole time and you get glimpses of Drago and his training and whatnot. But for the most part, you're on one side and you know what you're doing in that movie In chariots of fire. I didn't really know what I was doing as a viewer. So what, what, what's going on here? It's not a, it's not a documentary. So I'm not, I'm not sure I'm not hearing interviews in, about anything. Yeah. I'm just watching a movie that, has this weird pace <laughs> and doesn't really know where to go within each, each guy. Cause one of them's, you know, <laughs> a Jewish, the other one's like a devout Christian. And it's like, okay, well let's hone in on some of those things and make this a, make this a more interesting movie. I don't know. What really does kind of just tell us like this guy's Jewish. So obviously he's different. Like they don't give us anything to work with there. They just tell us like, he's Jewish and no one else is. So clearly he's the underdog. Like yeah. why <laughs> there's no, yeah. how would that impede his racing ability? Like where's the, yeah, it's, I don't know what, the, I think it really just comes down to, there was no reason to tell this story. There was no like cinematically. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. So that's, a lot of Oscar movies, you know, when you hear that term, like Oscar Beatty movies, like something that's more modern, like Spotlight, you know, takes it, takes a true story and really, really nails it, you know, and has awesome performances throughout and pieces together something that is coherent and really, really tears you up, you know, and kind of digs at you. And there's true story movies like that, that have, you know, won or been nominated, but yeah. this, this one doesn't, it doesn't do either thing. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't have a tremendous amount of style where you're like, Whoa, this is breathtaking, but it also doesn't have the story ability to just kind of knock you off your feet. And that sucks. Cause it doesn't go either way. Well, you look, I mean, a great example of a true story with two protagonists who have a rivalry that is well told and highly stylized is right there in the eighties with yes. 1984's Amadeus. The you've best got, of the 80s, yeah. Yeah, so you, you've got a way to tell a story like that right there. So maybe it is, you know, inexperienced filmmakers or just, I don't know, but something is missing from this film because it is possible to do a story with multiple protagonists, you know, in this same vein and have it work. We've seen it done. Yeah, of course, yeah. Milos Forman, Amadeus is, yeah, just spectacular. Always good to shout that one out. Uh, I, yeah, I, I love, love talking about the 80s. Uh, definitely love talking about random eighties movies more than Oscar eighties movies. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you and I are, you know, crazy, crazy into, you know, like the Carpenter films, like the thing. And, you know, of course, 1981, it'd be, it'd be silly to not mention escape from New York. <laughs> uh, just a special, special movie. And, and one, one, you look back, you know, 
these movies are 40 years old now this year and just has stood the test of time hand over fist (laughs) uh over and over uh adore that movie we got to do a really fun episode on that over on filmgasm quite quite a ways back now uh so much fun i adore that movie and wish it you know wish it had a bunch of oscar nominations of course (laughs) that's the thing about the 80s is i think that throughout the decades i mean throughout not the decades the years 1980 to 1989 the wrong movies were nominated and the wrong movies won that is a consistent pattern throughout the, the decade and that's a damn shame and uh you know we'll talk about some of that today with the 81 or well, the 82 Oscars. But um, yeah, yeah, it's just an ongoing theme. I noticed in the eighties that like the films that have become iconic and lasted have almost zero Academy attention. It's, yeah. It's kind of interesting. <clears throat> it, it's super interesting. And also, also interesting is uh, a lot of the individuals here involved with chariots of fire. Like, like this is kind of it for them as far as the Oscars go. There's, you know, we, we've done episodes where, you know, not too long ago we did Fargo where it's like Francis McDormand, the Coens, and all these people you go down the line are uh, Roger Deakins are all, all, you know, multiple Oscar nominated people. And here it's just, it's kind of, this is the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is the one for Ian Holm. This is the one for Hugh Hudson. This is the one for Colin Wayland. You know, this, this is, Chariots of Fire is it for them, you know? it won four Oscars at the 54th Academy Awards. So is there anything to you, if you look at them, you know, from, from a big picture, you know, yeah. the Chariots of Fire nominations, are, are, are there any that just kind of jump out as like, nah, nah, that doesn't, that doesn't feel right. Cause it's, it's got a total of seven nominations and four wins. So what, what do you think? I think this absolutely should never have even touched the screenplay category. Yeah. No kidding. That's its worst attribute. And it, and it won. Yeah, and it won that shit. Yeah. I can't believe that. This movie has almost no story. We're just meandering for two plus hours, I think. I don't, it felt like two plus hours. How long is this movie? Two hours, five. Good. Yeah. But yeah. where's the beef? You know, there's no point. After two hours, I felt I still knew nothing about these guys or why I should have cared about their story. Like, I, yeah, no screenplay nod at all. Yeah, the, yeah, the screenplay pops like four or five times, and that's about it uh, through the whole two hours. And yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely not. A, shouldn't have got the uh, the dub there. For for Ian Holm, this is his only nomination ever. He was up for best supporting actor here. No, man, this is this guy's a legend. <laughs> You know, and for you and I, you know, we're uh, we're obviously big fans of someone who's involved in Alien and then Lord of the Rings, you know, to be able to kind of touch <laughs> those two things over a 20 year span. Yeah, you're, you're going to kind of win us over. Well, I just I don't see why his, you know, his supporting actor nod should be for Alien. He was incredible in that brief. You know, we, we didn't see Ash very often, but we, the parts we did get were fucking fantastic. He, he kind of blends into the background of Chariots of Fire. I didn't really see his performance as Oscar worthy really at all. Uh, I, I, I really liked him in this movie. <laughs> I thought he was, I thought he was, I kind of thought he provided something I needed as a viewer because I was getting, getting quite <laughs> bored with the, 
you know, I felt like I was watching a highlight reel of slow motion <laughs> track performances from the twenties. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and Ian Holm came in and, you know, he's got a cigar and he's t- saying crazy, wild, big shit. And yeah, but, I, yeah, I, I liked him a lot, but I've seen that character before. That's Mick. <laughs> it's, it's English. It's English Mick. It is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same exact character. It's the same trope, you know, unorthodox trainer who's been kind of kicked out of his world, you know, finds a protege and teaches him how to win the, you know, the odd way. It's the same thing. <laughs> I'm okay with that because as I've learned uh, something through this show, I've learned is that a lot of guys I like now that are, you know, say in their forties, fifties, definitely watched and have copied Burt Lancaster. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> and that guy, yeah, that guy's uh, going to be talked about today too. He's uh, <clears throat> clearly, clearly I had no idea the influence he had on, on performers, you know, uh, just, just yeah, a, a lightning, lightning performer on the screen. He's so good. Yeah, Bert was somebody. If if nothing else, I'm I'm glad I've discovered him through this podcast. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No kidding. <laughs> no kidding. That that there, there's a few things you know that that jump out, and that's one of them. You know, the you know finding certain films, but he's someone who's come up a few times, and each time it's very pleasant <laughs> oh yeah he's the man he's become one of my favorite guys of that deck of that you know half of the 20th century and even in you know in his later years he was still killing it <laughs> he's so fantastic yeah yeah wonderful stuff well 54th academy awards <clears throat> we obviously did some homework so we can we can really look at some stuff here we're going to look at all seven nominations properly uh where, where, do, where would you like to begin Let's start at the bottom like we usually do, best film editing. Let's do it. Terry Rawlings. Yes, indeed. So we have uh, Chariots of Fire, The French Lieutenant's Woman, On Golden Pond, Reds, and the winner, Raiders of the Lost Ark. <clears throat> Raiders. Mm-hmm. Five, five wins at this show. That's the most of this show altogether. Oh, yeah. That's great. I love, you know, when a classic like a timeless classic like Raiders has some Oscar love. It's always good. Oh yeah. No kidding. It's yeah. It's, it's very nice to see that when the best picture winners are not so good. Yeah. Yeah. And the more I, you know, more we've gone into this, the more I've explored the Oscars, the more I'm starting to really kind of understand film editing. Cause I know when we, when we started this, we were kind of, we didn't really know what, entailed best film editing and how to kind of judge it but as awesome as i i do think raiders is i think this award should have gone to reds oh <laughs> yeah reds was going to come up at some point right warren Beatty's three hour plus epic <laughs> crazy crazy movie uh, I, I like i like that one quite a bit and I, I i can i totally see what you're saying um you know, and I've seen four of these, you know, I, I haven't seen French Lieutenant's Woman, but I, I think I agree with you there. Uh, of those other four, I think you got to give this to Reds just to, I, I'm not sure about every, everybody else out there, but to, to keep my interest <clears throat> for, for three hours, it's not the easiest thing to do. And let's just say that I had an easier time paying attention to the TV with this three hour movie than I did chariots of fire, which is two hours. 
Same, same here. I was into reds. Yeah. Oh, get that. Fuck. Where's that second disc? <laughs> Let's go. Come on. That is sad. <laughs> when you can, when you make a film that's two hours feel like it's four hours, you're fucking up. But when you can make a three hour film feel like an hour and a half, you're doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A lot of like my favorite movies are, are quite long, but that's usually because this right here that you were speaking about it, the film editing is usually on point and keeps keeps you where you want to be yeah you got to edit you know that amount of foot i'm sure reds had a shit ton of footage warren Beatty was not one to skimp on the camera yeah uh, so to edit that into a coherent film at all is kind of you know impressive <laughs> yeah and warren Beatty's a guy that we've i know we've brought up a few times just as a, a dude that both of us haven't seen a bunch of stuff you know yeah and he's going to just come up on the show. He just will by, by default. It's one of those guys who was just involved in movies that were involved, you know, in the Oscar, you know, running and whatnot. So glad, glad, glad we finally got to see this one because I've made the mistake before of, with reds and uh, hunt for red October. And, you know, I've, I, I've done things <laughs> now I've finally seen it and I can clarify what it is. Yeah. <laughs> And it's always great to cross another one off our Jack Nicholson nomination list. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll get to that. Holy hell. <laughs> man, um, oh, man. <laughs> moving on, let's cover the three it was nominated for first, and then we'll do the winners. Yes. Um, best director. <clears throat> we have Louis Maul for Atlantic City, Hugh Hudson for Chariots of Fire, Mark Rydell for On Golden Pond, Steven Spielberg for Raiders of the Lost Ark, and the winner, Warren Beatty for Reds. This is this is a tough one. There's a that's a good group. Uh, my internal bias is easily leaning towards Steven for Raiders, uh, but I don't know. Warren Beatty really did a great job with Reds. <laughs> mm. Yeah. See, see, I'm I'm Team Steve for sure. I think I think Raiders. <clears throat> you 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 pointed out earlier that it's a uh, that Raiders is one of the eighties movies that did quite well financially, obviously, and did quite well at the Oscars. And it's really cool to see that for you and I as fans, but, but at the same time, when you rewatch this movie and just kind of, kind of take it for what it is now here, you know, in our mid twenties, it, 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 it's fucking seamless. Yeah. It's seamless. You know, it's, it's easy to call a movie that you've seen, a hundred times, you know, oh, it's a masterpiece, you know, because that's how you feel about Raiders. But I, that that may be true or may, maybe not be true, but I know that when I watch Raiders the most recent time, it's like pretty much flawless in the way it just kind of comes at you. You talked about how <laughs> Reds is a three-hour movie that feels like, you know, or Raiders feels like it goes by in 15 minutes. It's like, no, <laughs> It really does. And, uh, you know, that's my favorite part of it is like you can throw it on on any night and you're like, oh, all right. That was that was a good night spent. Yeah, I'm sold. Yeah. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. Steve. No, no. You, you were thinking Warren Beatty went the distance and did both at the same time for a three hour epic. There's an there, there's an argument also for my man, Louis, uh, for Atlantic City. That's just uh, <laughs> that movie is awesome and has some really really cool scenes that are 
I think um, kind of wishing they were in the seventies at times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. Um, but you're right. Raiders has this lightning in a bottle quality that is just yeah, yeah. really incredible when you find it. It's easily the film from 1981 that has lasted the longest mm-hmm. and it's, it's going to be there forever. It's, it is a film I could put on watch and then just put it on again and enjoy it just as much. Yeah. To, to me, the, the 1981 double feature, and this is, you know, super, you know, American, American filmmaking, it's gotta be Raiders of the Lost Ark and Escape from New York just has to be. Fuck. That's great. Two badass American heroes. That's, that's wonderful. Well, yeah, what more do you want? It's just get your popcorn. That's a, yeah, <laughs> that's some good shit. Oh, hell yeah. I don't know why Hugh Hudson's even here. I, yeah. Yeah, one of the, one of the biggest problems of, <laughs> of, of Chariots of Fire is who, who's in charge here? <laughs> who's in, like, who, are there any directors or like films that pop out to you that you think could have taken? Um, I did look at that, you know, of course, you know, one of your, your favorite movies of all time comes out this year, American Werewolf in London. So, you know, I knew you're probably going to want to bring that up at some point. <laughs> is it something, is it something that you would put up here? Or is it more a technical kind of Oscar movie for you? It's more technical for me. Um, yeah. I think I would have given that, you know, a cinematography nod. Uh, I'm glad it took. Okay. Up. But director, yeah. I don't think so. Uh, what comes to mind for me for director is Terry Gilliam for time bandits. Oh, good shout. Yeah. I like that. I love that movie to death. I think it's very technical and just the way he made that is so unique. Like the idea of time bandits is so crazy, but Gilliam makes it seem like it could work. And uh, hell, you know, I'd be, I'd be cool with, you know, Carpenter for escape from New York, what he went into with that. He pulled out, you know, with a minimal budget, he pulled out one of the coolest like movies of all time. So yeah, bring it on. Yeah. Yeah. I would, this is kind of what we do the show for, you know, is like, fuck the normal way of thinking about how, what Oscars should look like. John Carpenter is one of the, you know, is one of the five best directors from that year, as far as we're concerned. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> put him in there. <laughs> Carpenter should have so many nominations from directing and for score. The guy did his own music every time. I mean, come on. Yeah. How does he not have something? I, I, I don't know, man. It's, it's quite frustrating uh, to, to look at, you know, and it, you'd be surprised at how many just, you know, amazing contributors just either didn't get nominated or got some nominations and just got nothing, got no wins out of it. And that, that's always unfortunate, but that's, it's, uh, that's the name of the game. It's competitive. Damn straight. That takes us to best supporting actor. We have, James Coco for Only When I Laugh, Ian Holm for Chariots of Fire, Jack Nicholson for Reds, Howard E. Rollins Jr. for Ragtime, and the winner, John Gilgood for Arthur. Uh, <laughs> I have not seen Arthur, Only When I Laugh, or Ragtime. <clears throat> Neither have I. Yeah. Um, Ian Holm, he's all right, but Jack and Reds, is it's it's Jack. Uh hard yeah, to argue with that. He he he's dynamite in reds as Eugene O'Neill. Oh my gosh. Uh <laughs> the there there's a few scenes 
Well, the, the few scenes he's in. <laughs> the, uh, the, the one where he's uh, just sitting down at the end of the conversation as Diane Keaton's leaving. And he, he says her name and you, he, he does little things like that where you're like, oh, man, like he's so, so there, so present, so in tune with what's going on inside this three hour epic is a golden performance from Jack. I, yeah, the guy's got three wins, 12 nominations, totally, totally in love with with Jack. Uh, but I, you know, I want to see these other movies. I, for one, really want to see Ragtime because Howard E. Rollins you know one of the only black men to be nominated and i yeah i would like to, uh, during this time i would like to see that yeah of course and i've heard arthur is really funny and also really you know kind of poignant it's been on my list for a long time and john gilgood's a celebrated british thespian so i'm sure his performance is worth it yes i would love to see that one you got uh dudley moore and yeah so yeah I'd like to see arthur i would throw in paul freeman for raiders of the lost ark you know, Belloc, give him a small. Oh, I like that. I like that shout. What do you think? What do you think about um, best actors? Best. Uh, mm, I don't know. <laughs> no, no. What, what do you think about this group that we, that oh. we have? Oh, I thought you were throwing out Karen Allen. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 not quite. That's a crazy group. Uh, <laughs> insane group. Yeah. <laughs> To see, you know, kind of the two greatest actresses in Oscar history compete against one another is pretty insane. Yeah, meeting, talk about just meeting of the, yeah, meeting of the minds, uh, Catherine Hepburn and Meryl Streep. Oof. <laughs> Hepburn took home her fourth Oscar. <laughs> Unbelievable. Crazy, crazy. So that would be 1933 she won. What was that for? Um I'm looking them up right now. No, no. What, what, uh, she, I know she won back to back, 1967, 1968. And what was the first one? 1954, 19, I don't know. I feel like it was early. Um, it was 1934. Morning. 34. Okay. Okay. 54, 34. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then, yeah, 67, 68. She wins. Guess who's coming to dinner and line in winter. And then right here on Golden Pond, just. She's got the most wins ever. I don't really see how anybody's going to catch her. <laughs> no, I mean, that would be... Are there any actresses working today who you think have the, the possible, like, could do that? Could catch up? Francis, Mc, Francis McDormand, if she wins this year, she would have to win this year, I think. And then at some point, because then she would have three. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, you know, in the next, whatever, you know, yeah. 10, 15 years, get another one. It's possible but I would think that Nomadland would have to be a win. Yeah, and as we saw with the Globes, that's not a sure thing anymore. Yeah, we'll see, man. It's going to be it's it's going to be a really interesting show come uh, April twenty fifth. You know, I'm really okay. excited. I think, uh, and I know this is weird because she played Catherine Hepburn, but I think Kate Blanchett has the ability. I think she. I don't think she's done with Oscar wins. I think Neither she, do I. Neither do I. That's a good shout. Mm-hmm. She's got two. That's so a really far. good shout. She's got a lot of nominations. I think she's got possibilities. We'll see. You know, you know, hmm? you know who else <clears throat> has a chance is uh, Saoirse Ronan. She's got four nominations already, no wins, but she's like 26. So, yeah. I mean, Catherine Hepburn, you know, look at that gap, 34 to 67. <laughs> so, and then she got, you know, three 
So who, who knows? I mean, this is crazy. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's cool stuff to look at. Then, you know, and we're, you know, Meryl Streep is the other one. She's got three wins and 21 nominations altogether. So yeah, those are the two Titans. They're kind of, you know, the most decorated people. It's cool to see two women as the most decorated uh, of all time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, let's go into <coughs> Chariots of Fire's other um, their wins. Uh, it's wins. Best original score. Um, we have Dragon Slayer by Alex North, On Golden Pond by Dave Grusin, Ragtime by Randy Newman, Raiders of the Lost Ark by John Williams, and the winner Chariots of Fire by Evangelis. Uh, I think he did the, the music for Blade Runner as well. Mm-hmm. Got this like weird techno. A year later, yeah. Is it just me or did the techno kind of theme of the music not mesh with this film at all? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, yeah, no. Uh, oh man, uh, I, yeah. I had so many thoughts pouring out of me that I kind of got scattered as I was watching the movie because there's there's a, occasionally something there with this score. And you're watching an 80s movie, but it's like, oh, it's in the 20s. It's kind of kind of an interesting take if you do it right. But when you just constantly do it like a music video where it's slow motion, these guys are stretching, you kind of it, it gets redundant. I think if they showed like a couple flashes of that, maybe once or twice in the movie, yeah. then it would be like it would kind of kind of jolt you for a second. You'd be like, whoa, what what is that? You know, but for it to kind of be the the thing that's pacing the movie, which is something that's already sloppy, just doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense. As you get as you get into it, you're like, ah, I don't know. It's it's a good score, on, like on its own. It's a yeah. good. It's a fine score, but with this movie, it just it, there were times where I just felt it was so cheesy and so uh, gimmicky. But you think that's because we've heard it so many times now. Uh, the, the theme, you know, I'm cool with. I'm fine with a the theme. I'm, I'm more talking about you know, just the meat of the movie. There were, there were too many moments where I was like, oh, right. Like, where we're just going to do this again and have a slow motion race again and again. And then we're going to listen to a couple old British guys talk again. You know, you talked about faces being, <laughs> oh, <laughs> being boring. This one was boring. <laughs> I think the biggest question going through my head when I looked at these is, how in the hell this chariots defeat may like one of the most iconic film scores of all time in Raiders of the Lost Ark, John Williams. Yeah. Yeah. The fact he didn't win gold for this is criminal. Raiders is one of his masterpieces. And that is saying something considering the films that Williams has scored. So I think Raiders should have taken this 100%. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I, I really think so. I got to see Dragon Slayer. I got to see Ragtime. Randy Newman, got to see that. But it's hard to believe <laughs> that, yeah, that, that J-Dub uh, wouldn't win this one. J-Dub. Um, John, yeah. John, John Williams, baby. <laughs> Is he the most decorated person in Oscar history? I guess I think he's got like 50-something nominations. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's got he's to be. With those, with those categories, you know, it's so different because, you know, you just got a certain amount of guys that are working within, like, these sort of movies. And John Williams just worked on so many huge, huge movies, you know, yeah. and just going to be nominated over and over again. 
Yeah, it's fantastic. He's still racking them up. Yep. <laughs> uh, best costume design. We got the French Lieutenant's Woman, Pennies from Heaven, Ragtime, Reds, and the winner, Chariots of Fire. No. <laughs> um, I have not seen three of these films, but I have seen a film that has vastly superior costume design, and that is Reds. <laughs> yeah, it- these, yeah, these movies, uh, you know, as I'm lo- kind of looking at them, all seem like they're probably not, I'm not going to say similar, but they're probably, as far as costume design, I, I think they're all kind of going for similar things. And I don't like that. I, I hate to see that. You know, you got Ragtime, which is, <clears throat> you know, going to have a lot of people in suits and shit. And uh, same with Pennies from Heaven. There's probably going to be people with suits. <laughs> you know you know what I mean? It's just kind of kind of bland, you know. And, oh you know, you, of, cor- of course, Chariots of Fire goes back to the 20s. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. All of these films are in the 20s or 30s. Yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm kind of seeing, you know. I, I don't know. But I feel like the costumes for chariots are like runners shorts. Like there's not really a lot of work going into that one. I don't see why that took it over Reds which has like very elaborate, you know, 20s Russian suits and American suits and like I don't know, really like put me in the in the atmosphere of the film. So I think Reds yeah. I mean I can't speak for the other three films but Reds has my vote on that. Yeah, for those two, 100%. Reds. Best original screenplay. Here we go. Oh, boy. We have Absence of Malice by Kurt Lud- Ludke, Arthur by Steve Gordon, Atlantic City by John Guar, Reds by Warren Beatty and Trevor Griffiths, and the winner, Chariots of Fire by Colin Wellen. Uh, we've spoken already how we think the screenplay is really this film's weakest link, and I yep. think 100% this screenplay not should have gone to Atlantic City. Yeah, no, no question. <laughs> Atlantic City is exactly exactly what what you what you want out of uh, you know like a kind of a crime thriller. You know, you got the stakes are exactly where you want them to be, not too high, not too low, just right right there in the middle. Reminded me a lot of Jackie Brown. Yeah, uh, re- reminded me a lot of Hard Eight. Yeah, loved loved this movie, and I thought it thought it had a really kind of at moments kind of scary gritty screenplay and then very funny at times so I, I thought it was awesome Burt Lancaster's charm he's just got this ability you know, we saw in Elmer Gantry he's just got this ability to make you smile when he's doing just vile shit it's yeah remarkable uh, yeah. but we'll get to that <laughs> and that takes us to best picture here we go we have Atlantic City on Golden Pond, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Reds, and the winner, Chariots of Fire. So how are we doing it today? Today, uh, we're going to do something new. You know, talked a bit about it last week um, on our Faces episode towards the end. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go ahead and rank these since we've seen all five. Both of us have. We're going to do a five to one. We'll go back and forth. Uh, that way we can kind of figure out what we both think about each of these movies and where they should place within this category. You know, this is, you know, it's just an exercise for fun, right? This does not, this does not mean that we think um, that these five movies are definitive, uh, that it's just, we're just taking the five that the Oscars did at the 54th Academy Awards. So with that being said, uh, I'll, I'll let you start with your number five. Do you have, do you have any questions or anything or, or, 
You're good um, to go. Yeah, I think we're good to go. I'm good to go. This will be pretty solid. All right. All right. Well, yeah, let's go with your number five. What do you got? I think I can guess. Yeah, it's Chariots of Fire. Same, same, same. <laughs> it's the weakest of this bunch by far. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's one of the weaker um, Best Picture winners that, that we've both seen, obviously. Uh, what's, what's your rating for it? What did you give it on your review? I gave it a six. Yeah, yeah. That's what I, on a... Uh, on Letterboxd, I remember I gave it three stars, so three out of five would be six technically, I guess. And that's that's kind of where I see it. Uh, just it's fine. Don't don't really recommend it, you know, sort yeah, of thing. And it's it, that's why it kind of lands in the five spot for both of us. Uh, from here on out, it's going to get interesting. <laughs> but uh, but but yeah, that 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 number five is is pretty easy. Yeah, it's a it's a weak film. It should not have best picture. And uh, I think it's just, you know, a good example of how out of touch the Oscars was in the 80s. Just doesn't seem to know what they're doing the whole decade. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think, you know, I'm trying to watch all of them, of course. That's what we're both, we're both, we've we've been trying to do that for years, you know, just kind of crossing them off as we go. And, and this is definitely one I've avoided because I've heard that it's in that group with driving with Daisy and crash. And, you know, like, why would I willingly watch that? You know? And well, here we are <laughs> doing, doing a best picture showdown. And, you know, you, you and I are always talking about what we want to base it around, you know, and our, our next one is going to be fucking fascinating, but, but we got to do them all at some point, you know? And when you're going through the eighties, you're just kind of picking and who knows, Amadeus is the only one I know for sure that I love. Yeah, pretty much me too. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of them I have not seen, but you know, I've active, I haven't actively avoided them. I just haven't really been that intrigued. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas, like, you're going to watch the two Godfathers. You're gonna watch, you know, one for the cuckoo's nest. You know, you're gonna watch Rocky. <laughs> you're gonna watch Kramer's Kramer. You're gonna watch the French Connection. Yeah, I mean, there some of those are no brainers. Yeah. Yeah. Every film that won Best Picture in the 70s has become iconic at this point, where a lot of the 80s ones have been forgotten. Uh, and yeah, I don't think I'm alone in, in thinking that. No, not at all. You're yeah, I I if I could agree with you like more, <laughs> I really would. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I think the 70s are just by far the strongest when it comes to the best picture, it's just the strongest representation for just solid, good movies that everyone can enjoy uh, compared to the other decades that we're looking at. Uh, but, but yeah, yeah. Turret's fire, man. We, we, weak as hell. What's your number four? Uh, well, like you said, we're getting interesting now because these other four films, I believe are solid uh, pieces of art. Uh, yeah. And going by just the strength of the other three films and how entertained I was by them, number four is Reds. Wow. Okay. Okay. All right. Getting, getting, getting gritty here. Yeah. Reds is a very interesting story. Uh, Warren Beatty's a bit overzealous with his, uh, with his camera. I think he's, you know, he, he was, he's one of those, you know, 50 to hundred takes directors and, I, I can tell he likes to make an epic. He wants to make his, he wanted to make his mark as a director and reds is an ambitious story to do that. You know, it's a story that talks about the Bolshevik revolution and this American journalist role in 
like what he played in it. And uh, it's interesting. It's very well acted, very well written, but it's really long. And I thought the first half was significantly better than the second half, personally. Um, and uh, I just think the other three films are so are are. I would watch the other three films again. That's how I would say it. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I think I think that brings up a really interesting point of doing like a top five or doing a ranking is this is personal. You know, we're not some body of people voting on some of this, just what we like one through five. And I like that you put it that way of the other three that that we're going to talk about. You would rewatch. Yeah. There's, there's such power in wanting to revisit a movie. Yes, exactly. And, and I, I totally see what you're saying. With that being said, On Golden Pond is my number four. Okay. Uh, I agree with you. Actually, from here on out, uh, well, the next two would be eights, and then I have two nines, you know? So we're, these are good movies for me. You know, I, I really like these movies. And On Golden Pond is, is not taking any, any heat or anything here being number four for me. Uh. I think why I have it number four is similar to what you were just saying is yes. Reds is very long, but I think personally, I think I might be more inclined to rewatch that one over on golden pond. Uh, That would mean I need to be alone because no one else is going (laughs) to want to sit through uh, three hours of reds when I'm like, Oh, this is my second time, you know? And, (laughs) I I thought there was just, there was a tremendous amount going on and it gave me very similar feelings that I had when I watched Patton. Okay. Where I was, where I was like, you know what? I could see myself actually kind of, you know, having a couple of beers and and watching this movie, you know, watching it again, Uh, maybe showing it to somebody, you know, and kind of trying to find new stuff. You know me. I mean, my, my favorite movie is Magnolia. It's three hours. So I'm kind of used to just digging into that, but, uh, uh, on golden pond is is solid man it's it's a really good movie with you know two fondas <laughs> and, and and uh you know obviously Catherine hepburn so when you're watching legends like that and you're doing a show like this it's just it kind of it, that shit goes hand in hand it's very very rewarding what is it about on golden pond that keeps it from uh being rewatched uh, I think the I, I think the uh, pace of it is a bit. Um, I guess I could see it other places. I guess I could see that sort of um, sort of storytelling uh, in a different way, maybe that <clears throat> Reds is, you know, reminded me of other stuff, but it's pretty you know singular in the way it, the way it operates. It's pretty pretty unique. Uh, but on Golden Pond, I guess I guess um, there's movies that could replace it if that makes sense yeah i see what you're saying or yeah but i do like it a lot man it's kind of you know maybe next week you ask me i might say something different you know (laughs) it's tough well makes sense uh like you said you know it's all subjective Um, yeah yeah my number three is atlantic city very nice very nice This was the first film I watched for this uh, episode uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, I just, I love Bert. 
I uh, Burt Lancaster can make anything wildly entertaining. And uh, I noticed that if you kind of view Atlantic City as like a spiritual sequel to Elmer Gantry, it becomes something so much more special where you think like this is Elmer Gantry after he retired and like, you know, got involved in the mob and moved to Atlantic City. Still up to yeah. his old tricks, but not able to, you know, do it anymore. <laughs> he's playing basically the same guy. And it's, it's fantastic. Uh, and it's really like no disparage. Uh, no, I don't want to disparage the film. I love the film. Uh, I just think the other two are considerably uh, better, in my opinion. And I think Atlantic City could go up. I, I, I will definitely check this film out again. Yeah. Uh, I love I never would have thought Burt Lancaster and Susan Sarandon would have like impeccable chemistry, but they did. And um, yeah, there's just a lot to like about this film. I like how it's like a, uh, you know, Atlantic City, the old Atlantic City's crumbling around them the whole movie. Cause like he's one of those old relics, one of the last pieces of the past, just like Burt yes. Lancaster is one of the last actors from that generation still working. There's so many layers to this thing. Yes. And it's, yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, number three. Hell yeah, man. My, uh, I, I, I love that. Yeah, all those things are a few reasons why I love it so much. Uh, my number three is what I was just talking about uh, a second ago is, is Reds. Uh, on Golden Pond and, and Reds, I see pretty, pretty even. And it was kind of tough to choose between those two. Uh, oh. You know, we've talked about it, obviously, three-hour epic. I think what intrigued me about this the most, aside from Jack Nicholson's just just dynamite performance when he's in it, I think what intrigued me about it was its, it's commitment was kind of astonishing. Almost, almost pr- pretty, I'll say it, pretty audacious. I think that Warren Beatty was in a place that few people can get to. Uh, And at that time, I think his ego was, whether he wanted to admit it or not, or people think this way, I think is probably pretty much through the roof, you know? And I personally like when a guy knows that and still does his job really well. I'm totally cool with a guy who's, you know, kind of, there's just, there's a few times where the camera's on him, really on him. Uh, but he he's a star and he has the star quality and I same with Diane Keaton, but Warren Beatty filming himself, you know, and kind of being the guy who is making, making all the calls as the director is just, is just really interesting to watch when that happens. You know, something modern, like when you're watching a star is born and you, you, you're like Bradley Cooper, when you put yourself on the line like that to, put the camera right up in your face uh, for all, you know, beauty and flaws and all there's like an ego to it. There's also something really interesting and kind of admirable about it. And when I was watching reds, I was just constantly kind of thinking about this guy and how for me, he's one of the, one of the legends that I haven't quite, you know, uh, researched enough. And this movie kind of pushed me to that place. It was like, okay, it's, it's time. It's time to go ahead and put some Warren Beatty movies on my list and really try to knock them out. Yeah. 
I've always been kind of biased towards him because my introduction to him was Dick Tracy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, you, yeah, that shit happens and you're like, it ruins your whole, you know, perspective on somebody. If you watch, especially these older people, you know, when you're giving them a chance, you know, give them a shout and you're used to the stuff that you're used to and something like that doesn't work out and it kind of affects your affects everything that you think about the guy for moving forward. And I, I hate when that happens. It happens to me more than I'd like to admit. <laughs> I get where you're coming from with reds. It's definitely an ambitious project that kind of confirmed Warren Beatty as like a director to be reckoned with. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I thought it was a really good movie. It's just, you know, a film has got to be an absolute impeccable masterwork to captivate me for three hours. <laughs> yeah. That's why it doesn't win. You know, like Lord of the Rings takes, takes it home. Return of the King takes it home. Yeah. Cause it caps off a really nice trilogy and is just pretty damn entertaining the whole time. And even though it's over three hours or whatever, but you cannot say the same about reds, right? You know, there, there are moments where you're like, Oh, you feel it a little bit, but that's more speaking for, for the bigger picture for most fans. Personally, I, I enjoyed myself most of the time during Reds, and, and I, I do want to revisit it at some point. Yeah, of course. Hell yeah. Well, well here we go. We got, uh, we got top twos here. Yeah, my number two is on Golden Pond. Uh, yes. And it really is entirely for sentimental reasons. Uh, when I first watched this film, um, Henry Fonda and Catherine Hepburn reminded me so much of my own grandparents that it brought tears to my eyes and made me think about them. And now this movie has an emotional connection to my family. So every time I watch this film, I feel that emotional connection and it's really hard to shake off. So that's why this film landed in my top two. I think that Fonda and Hepburn together is a joy and uh, they just have such a real relationship. I, I believe it. And it just feels there's so much love and regret and hope in this film that mm-hmm. you just can't help but fall in love with it. And uh, yeah, yeah. That's why it's my number two. Yeah, I, I remember you talking about that on episode 21, I believe, uh, when we talked about 12 Angry Men. We did a little bit of Henry Fonda action. Yes, Watched on Golden Pond. We did uh, Grapes of Wrath. You know, we, we kind of, you know, once upon a time in the West, we, we went all around for, for him. And I remember you bringing that up on that episode. Here we are on episode 40. And you got to, got to you know, reminisce and talk about it again. And I, I love that. I love that you have that personal connection to, to that movie. And I know you're number one. Obviously, we all know what it is. But I think you, I think you have a personal connection to that one, too. Um, this is my number two is going to show um, one of the key differences in how you and I watch movies and how we operate. My number two is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oof, I was not uh, expecting that. A movie that I've seen, I don't know, 50, 60 times. I'm not sure. Just again, seamless, kind of a mind melter. Just sit on the couch. You're good. You're totally good for the for the two hours that you're watching Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, I would love to do an episode on this show because it'd be really hard 
to pick out favorite scene, you know, all that stuff, all that jazz that we do uh, doing awards. Whereas Chariots of Fire is just going to be kind of, kind of dull. Yeah. That's probably going to take us about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, man. Ra- Raiders is awesome. It's definitely, uh, I-, I think when we did our top, top 10 of the eighties episode back over on Filmgasm, we, we definitely mentioned this movie and it's just, just a special one, you know, it, it, it's very special. And I had a hard time not putting it number one, but something about Bert. <laughs> wow. I am. I'm not going to lie. I'm shocked. I knew you liked Atlantic city, but Holy shit. I did not think you loved it that much. I loved Atlantic city. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to, I've been trying to keep it on the down low the whole episode. <laughs> And here we are. <laughs> Good work. You, you fooled me. Good work. Uh, yeah. My number one is Raiders of the Lost Ark. No surprise. It's been one of my favorite movies for my, pretty much my entire life. Uh, I grew up with Dr. Jones. And uh, it's just, you know, a flawless trilogy. And uh, Harrison Ford kind of made his career with that. I mean, Star Wars is great, but Indiana Jones will always be the character that he associates himself with. The one that kind of you know, skyrocketed him to a different level. And uh, it's so great. It's one of the best adventure films of all time. It's scary as hell. The ending, like the first time you see that, holy shit, is it terrifying out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. And it was voted like the scariest scene in a non-horror movie of all time. And I agree with that big time. It's great to see, you know, uh, an American badass beat the shit out of a bunch of Nazis and save God from, you know, pure evil. It's awesome. It's, there's nothing bad about Raiders whatsoever. It is a flawless 10 and one of the greatest films of all time. How could it not make it into my number one slot? I mean, nothing could beat this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I know f- for you, I, I was thinking about that before we did this episode was like, I wonder what 80s movies could even beat Raiders, you know? Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about just any 80s movie. I'm talking about actual Best Picture nominated 80s movies. I would think that it would be somewhere in your like top three or five of the whole decade. Uh, if we're talking Best Picture nominees of the 80s, it's, it's number one. Yeah. You really, you, do you know that for sure? Do you even have to look or, or are you pretty 100%? Off the top of my head, it's number one. I can't think of anything that would rival it. Um, I know Dead Poet Society is in my top three. Yeah. God, there's so many that I just haven't. Fatal, fatal Attraction. It's good. I don't. It's not top five. Yeah. No. No. It, I, it's just an interesting thought I had. I was like, I bet this is high up there for the whole decade. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna do a quick skim. <laughs> oh, go for it, man. While while I. Uh... Tell you why Atlantic City real quick is is my number one. First off, Atlantic City uh, came out technically in 1980, premiered in France and then in Canada uh, at the end of the year in 1980, and then came out over here uh, towards the beginning of beginning of the year in 1981, which is really interesting because normally you know films come out in the back end of the year to comp- compete for award season. Uh, Atlantic City just I guess kind of got a uh, Got an audience, you know, it didn't make a whole lot of money in the box office, but it just kind of gained this, you know, this crowd, you know, and 
you, you understand it when you watch it totally makes sense. And this movie, I, I really want it to just be like advertised all over Netflix. I think people would love this movie. I think this is the kind of movie people are kind of just fiending for and they don't even know it. You know, it, it's an hour and 40 minutes and it's, again, the stakes are exactly where you want them to be for you just to be right. The right amount of interested, the right amount of kind of morally, you know, corrupt and morally, you know, and good characters that are just kind of like, they're just fucking salt and pepper. They're right and wrong. They're gray. I, I love, I, I love this movie. This is my first time watching it, but I've heard so, so many things about it. Heard so many people just kind of say funky things about it. Like, Oh, this, you know, this random part, you know, this random part. And I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta see Atlantic city. You know, I gotta see what's going on with those lemons. I gotta see, I gotta see what's going on with this, you know, this weird guy who's just trying to sell, sell Coke. And, you know, <laughs> and when I, watching that particular character and he's two thousand dollars four thousand i was like oh man four thousand dollars is exactly where i want to be that's the right amount of money i want to care about (laughs) (laughs) you you know and that that's that's the kind of shit i like just love in movies like you know just kind of crime movies like this that are just operating on a you know kind of low budget seven million dollars here and just my kind of movie man and I didn't know I was going to be taken aback by it. Like I was, you know, and I, I really do, you know, have to give it up to Burt Lancaster. He's playing one of the most complex characters that I've like ever seen without going to any of the sub <laughs> to any of the subplots of his life that you're like, Oh my God, you know, he's, he's as interesting as Mike Ermintrout from breaking Bad. Like this guy, I want to know, I want to, I, I want a prequel. I want to know. <laughs> I want to know what's going on with this guy. And I, I, I'm going to watch this movie. I'm going to buy it. First off is, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to buy this movie. <laughs> it yeah, blew me away. So I definitely wish it would have won best picture. And it's, it's definitely my personal favorite movie of this bunch. And, you know, it's really hard to compare to something like Raiders that I've seen so many, so many damn times. Yeah. But this, 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 this film is just kind of right up my alley. Right on. Yeah, I am. I'm definitely like pressing that Elmer Gantry is the unofficial prequel to Atlantic City. I'm I'm connecting those two films because these two characters, you know, Elmer Gantry and Lou Pascal, are so similar. It's crazy. Like they even like they hold their they smile the same. They have this like you know pep in their step that's you don't see in anybody else, any of other you know any other Lancaster performances I've seen, and uh, it's just cool to think that. But yeah, I totally yeah. get why this film would, why you'd fall in love with this film. It's, it checks all the boxes. It's really good. Yeah. It's quality. This is a, this is a good group aside from that, that fifth spot, man. Yeah. It always, it always sucks when the one that's not that good takes, takes the, the statue. This always. is exactly what happened in 1948 for us. Yeah, yes. exactly. Hamlet again. Damn it. That shit keeps getting brought up for the, for the wrong reasons. Yeah. <laughs> ah. well you want to recap yeah you yeah go ahead and uh say your uh five five okay. to one my countdown five to one number five chariots of fire number four reds 
Number three, Atlantic City. Number two, on Golden Pond. Number one, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Hell yeah. And I have Chariots, number five. On Golden Pond, number four. <clears throat> Reds, number three. Raiders, number two. And Atlantic City, number one. Hell yeah. That's what we're going to be doing from here on out for Best Picture Showdowns is trying to rank them and figure out what we think. Uh, it, uh, again, hopefully... Well, actually, we know uh, next time we already have uh, planned out what we're going to do for the next Best Picture Showdown, and that'll be a little bit better. We know that. <laughs> yeah, sure. It'll, it'll be interesting. I think this is a good way to kind of, in, you know, get some insight into what we're thinking personally about these films. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, that's the, the best part is being able to watch these five. And even better is when you get to watch some of them for the first time. In this case, you and I got to, you and I got to watch three movies, Atlantic city, reds and chariots all for the first time. So yeah. uh, I'm always, I'm always uh, grateful for that. Yeah. So am I, I'm always looking forward to you know new stuff, especially Oscar stuff. You know, I have an ongoing list that I'm constantly crossing off and uh, this podcast has you know, allowed me to cross off a lot. So yeah, very so many, happy about so that. many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Well, uh, you know, this is usually the best part of the show. Let's make it the best part of the show, even though, uh, <laughs> Even though this movie we obviously don't like. We both gave it a six. Chariots of Fire. We have our own awards to give out. Uh, maybe we can uh, conjure up a, a nice little conversation about about the movie out of these. Um, you know, we, we, we got four awards here. We got the Tarantino for best line or quote. We got the Ennio Morricone for best music moment. We have the Philip Seymour Hoffman for best performance. And we have the Roger Deakins Award for the best moment or best scene of the movie. So I'll let you take it away with your Tarantino, even though the screenplay was pretty weak. Yeah, this was this was tough. Um, so my line comes from right before uh, Harold's big race, where he's kind of unsure of himself and he starts talking about, you know, can I do this? And he says, and now in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. What will I? And judging by your reaction, I have a feeling you have a similar quote. <laughs> I wrote down the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought, I thought the, those moments with, uh, with uh, Ian Holmes character, what's his fucking name? Uh, ben, Ben, let me, let me I don't fucking know. That's sad. Uh, Sam Musabini. There we go. Musabini. Yeah. When, when, when those two, when those two are chatting, there are some really good moments. Uh, just, they're just surrounded by not a whole lot supporting it, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. When you, <laughs> looking down the four feet, the corridor, like that was pretty cool. I kind of like that a little bit. There's, you can't craft a movie around what is essentially a like eight second race. It's just, it's really hard to do that. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna need to use like really go into the religion aspect, you know, like you gotta really go into that and, and what their livelihood was like, and they're just kind of kind of lazy with it. Yeah, you gotta explore who they are as people, or else we don't care. Yeah, and they kind of did that with the with the Christian guy, but Harold kind of just got swept away and was like, he's Jewish, so therefore he's different. You got that audience, and yeah, he just ran with it. Well, uh, 
music. That's great. <laughs> Has that ever happened where we had the exact same Tarantino? We've had, of course, the same PSH. I'm sure. I, th- I think we've had a couple of the same Deacons. We might have once or twice. I don't. I can't recall. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say probably. I have a feeling it's happened before. Yeah, we've been doing these awards for over half the episodes now, and I'm sure it's happened at some point. I just can't remember. Funnily enough, it started with Hamlet. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I, I know, man. Isn't that great? Uh, That episode's um, just always going to get brought up. Yeah. So what is your uh, Morricone? Uh, My my, my Morricone is, uh, obviously, we've talked about the score, uh, it's 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 the kind of intense, eerie piece of score before before the final race. Uh, I kind of closed my eyes, I'll admit, and pictured a different movie, but <laughs> but it was it was damn good music, that's for sure. I just didn't feel like it was paired too well with this movie, but I couldn't find any moments that I thought were worthy of some of these, you know, kind of obscure and grand you know, pieces of music, you know, and yeah. when you're talking about the theme song, it's like, uh, there's just not enough there to kind of justify it for me. Yeah, I get it, man. I, I, I took the, you know, I took the, the easy road and picked the first time we really hear the Vangelis score in the opening when they're running on the beat for some Because that's it. The rest of the score is incredibly underwhelming to me. I just... I don't see, I under- I see it. Totally understand. Totally understand. The, 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 the intro is cool when you're looking at their feet on the ground. Yeah. But then when you go up to those phony ass uniforms, you're like, oh man, never mind. This these guys just look lame, you know? <laughs> Best costume design winner. Yeah. Lame. I couldn't believe they didn't play that part of the score during the actual fucking race. I thought that's what was gonna like that's why that score exists. That's why we keep hearing it during, you know, sports moments and in films and stuff like that, like moments of great victory. Cause they played it in this movie, but they didn't play it in the right part. I was like, what? no, it's, no, it's just for the, just for the title card there. That's it. Oh, this movie's a mess. Yeah, it is. Lots of bad decisions. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I love, I, I love it. I, I, you know, we got the PSH. Uh, no one here really deserves this award. Well, we'll, we'll be clear about that. This is a participation trophy. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, go, go ahead. I have Ben Cross as Harold Abrahams. I, fair enough. I, fair enough. Yeah, fair. He did the best he could with a very underdeveloped character. Yep. And uh, I thought he was good. I thought he stood out in some scenes, especially, you know, the scene I picked for my Tarantino. You feel a lot of, you know, hesitation and, uh, a lack of faith in himself. And he, I thought Ben Cross pulled that off really well, but really just, I don't want to give anyone, a, anyone the statue here. I kind of just want to be like, you know, you all like, you know, no sale, <laughs> but I can't. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is what we do. You know, we choose a film to base it around, you know, the episode and we got to give awards to it. Yeah. And we, we knew if we haven't seen this movie. We knew it could, could get dangerous. <laughs> Um, I, I was biased. Went, went with Ian Holm. Um, yeah. Again, there's a few moments where he's like smoking the cigar and just kind of shooting the shit. And 
I'm in, you know, I'm in because I just really, really like him. I think he just brings something totally original to the screen that, you know, it's, it's his own presence. And I, I love that. He's always, always reminded me of, you know, like, a, like Steve Buscemi, you know, guys like that, that just have their own presence. And I, yeah, really, really like Ian Holm. And in this movie, he has a couple scenes with your guy that I think are kind of, kind of cool. But aside from that, man, it's just slim pickings. And yeah, there's, there's no one really here that kind of jumps out and reaches out for that award. That's for sure. Yep. Damn shame. But yeah, you know, well, we, we yeah. got, we got, we got, a, we got one more, we got one more award here. This could, this could be kind of interesting. Maybe we'll see what you got. Well, there's not a lot of scenes in this film that stand out either. There's nothing that really pops out as like, wow, that was amazing. No, but, not at all. That's why I'm interested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the scene I have, uh, just because of all the work that went into making, trying to make this, this character happen. It's the scene where the uh, Prince of Wales shows up to convince Little to run on the Sabbath. But even the Prince of Wales can't break this guy's faith. And everyone around him is like, dude, just break your faith. Like, don't you care about your country? And he's like, yes but I care about God more and you can't shake that. And to say, to stand up to a guy who's going to be the King of England is, you know, that takes us, that takes some sack. And I was like, Hmm, all right, good on you. So yeah, that's what I went with. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Little, little is like, uh, you know, God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. Yeah. <laughs> but also, you know, he does not roll, on Shabbos in his own way. Yeah. No, I will not run on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. There, that, that part is explored a little bit. I wish they go a little bit deeper, a little bit grittier. And I, I wish, you know, our other main character got the same amount of, amount of, you know, amount of screen time as far as all that stuff goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I, I saw that and I definitely, it was definitely in the running for me. I, um, you know, this is going to bring up something interesting, I, I think, with sports movies. My Deacons. This one scene between, between Musabini and Harold, it's actually a little bit earlier. It's about halfway through the movie. He's showing him pictures of other athletes. Oh, yeah. And he's like, and, he, and Ian Holm, pretty cool scene. He's like, you know, when you're in your sleep, you need to be dreaming about them. You know, you like these, think about them, think about them, you know, and L- little is one of them. One of the guys, you know, it's like three different athletes and just kind of, you know, showing them on the projector. And there's a couple of really cool shots and Harold is just kind of saying their names, you know, and his, you know, he's kind of saying them like under his breath. And that is one of like the coolest things you can do in a, in a, not just sports movies, but more so, one-on-one movies so i'll bring up a movie like whiplash here when you have you know like teacher and student kind of you're battling there's 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 so much power so much cinematic power in it. in this movie i would prefer to see a movie just maybe not just from harold's perspective maybe maybe that's wrong but from his perspective, if I could see a movie about him and his training and how it can just kind of drive you mad, 
You know, I feel like this movie flirted with that, but never really went there. And I think that's the power of, of what, you know, sports or music or one of movies that kind of have that one-on-one, I want to make you better. It has serious power, serious power. And they usually fail. You know, that's why a whiplash stands out so much because they usually fucking fail. They usually don't, don't work. Um, another one that stands out is, that's another kind of more recent one is, is like there will be blood when you have Daniel Day Lewis and Paul Dano kind of kind of going at each other. And you have the master who's just kind of like, mm, fuck you or the master Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix. I, I love when that happens in the right way where you have two guys kind of battling it out, but they also want to get something out of the other person. And with this movie specifically, I was like, Oh shit, there's something there. And that's where the fucking wild score could come in if you just showed scenes of this this guy just training. And, and I, I don't know. I thought there was a movie there. And yeah. that's where my mind went with this. And that's why it was my favorite scene. That's why I gave it the Deacons was it, it unleashed this whole thing in my mind that, oh, man, like there, there's kind of cinematic power in these moments where teacher and student are kind of kind of talking and just kind of strategizing and figuring each other out and i i I like that on the big screen yeah i think you know in the way you're describing it there definitely could have been a much better solid film in there if you kind of explore the dark side of what they want and you know what they're going to have to give up there's not a lot of sacrifice in this film you know with movies like this they kind of you know dance around something you've wanted your whole life when you there, you end up not having to really give up anything for that to not at the end of it, realize like I got what I wanted, but at what cost, if you don't have that part of it, then you, the audience doesn't really have anything to kind of think about. Yeah. And in the end, you know, he gets the trophy, he gets the medal, he gets the girl, he gets respect, like yay, everything went, you know, worked out for you. But I don't know. I just, I feel like we were, you know, the audience was left out. Like, what do we get out of this? Yes, exactly, exactly. And there, there, I think there's a map there. There's a roadmap to a movie that could be even a little longer and just flushed out and really dig into these two characters' kind of psyches and what's really going on in their minds as they're, like you said, kind of chasing this thing that they've been chasing since they were kids. It's exactly what Amadeus did. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, they really, that movie is just so well taken care of. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, I think we did a good job there. Uh, yeah, six out of ten for me. Yeah, six out of ten for me. So, so for you, I heard you say you give Raiders a ten. What, 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 what's your proper ratings for the other four altogether? Obviously, six here. Yeah. On Golden Pond, um, gets a nine. Okay. Atlantic City gets an eight. Reds gets an eight. Okay. Awesome. So yeah, we're we're very similar. I have two nines. Atlantic City Raiders on Golden Pond and Reds both eights. And then, yeah, here we are. Big drop off to six for chariots. Uh, and just, just something I, d- I don't feel like rewatching. So, no. And when that happens, sometimes I can f- kind of see it ahead of, ahead of that. You know, we can both see it. We're like, oh, this might not be the most interesting movie for us. So, next week, we went ahead and decided to throw in kind of a, for you, I know it's a personal kind of just favorite. Yeah, so, we- I'll, I'll, I'll let you introduce it. 
we wanted something that we both adore, something that's a surefire hit, something we don't have to kind of really work to craft an entertaining episode out of. So we went with the 2008, I believe. Yes. 2008 crime comedy in Bruges, which has one nomination for best original screenplay by um, Oscar nominee Martin McDonough starring Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, and Ray Fiennes as criminals hiding out in Bruges after a botched hit. It's so funny, so entertaining, fantastic, timeless, and I cannot wait to talk about it next week. Oh, yeah. going to be an absolute blast. Uh, I've seen it just a few times, and I've, it's one of those movies that's, that, that's just on all the time at uh, when I was, you know, just kind of like hanging out with a bunch of my friends all the time, and it, it would just be on. You know, it was one of, those, one of those movies, and now I'm ready to properly sit down figure out what my favorite things about it are because it is very, very funny and a, a screenplay that you love to see get, get the nod, you know, even if it's just one nomination that makes it okay to do it on Oscar Sunday. Yes, indeed. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> some of the greatest movies ever just have that one nomination that's, you know, squeezed them in. Yes. And um, I, yeah, cannot wait. Um, be sure to check out hell night on filmgasm this Wednesday. Uh, coming to America on the sneak preview tomorrow. Yep. And uh, be sure to check out the Giggle Guys who just launched their new podcast with the other guys uh, this past Friday. Uh, don't know what they got coming. Very excited to see. And uh, thank you for checking out all our stuff. We appreciate it. Hell yeah. Peace. We'll see you next Wednesday. No, my mistake. Sunday. <laughs> yeah, Sunday. We got a lot of shows. <laughs> yes, we did. <do. laughs>